All right. So um, for those of you who are joining us on the podcast, welcome back to Love Notes from God. This is what week three of our disciplines of the faith. Um, and we are focusing on some things that are considered just common practices in the church world, but sometimes we don't know why. And new Christians look at us like we're crazy. So we're going to go through that. If you're a new Christian, I'm going to try to break it down so that you can understand it. If you are an experienced, seasoned, veteran warrior of the faith, sometimes we got to be reminded how to break it down. So that's what this whole thing is about, so that it covers all of us. But we're going to talk start talking tonight about communion and I was teasing our in-person group already that I knew who was going to be here and I know who likes to talk so I went ahead and divided it already into two lessons but um, the reality is there's just so much information it probably could have been a whole month just on communion and what communion really is but here is what I want to ask I want to start this way okay and I'm going to give you your warning Please try to keep these answers to one sentence. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're going to try to keep our answers to one sentence on these, these introductory questions, okay? First of all, somebody tell me what communion is. What is communion? Jacob, what's communion? Tell them what communion is. Okay, Lord's Supper. Jacob, any other? No. Larry. The representation of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Representation of the blood of Christ, body of Christ. Anybody else have anything else that you want to say when you think of when I say communion? Larry's got those scripture words in there, doesn't he? <laughs> He's got those preacher words. Remembrance of the love of Jesus for our salvation from the bondage of sin and death. Okay. Did you Google that, Jeff? I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So real quick, I want to read you this definition of the word communion. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to read definition number two first. Hmm. Definition number two is the service of Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated and shared. Okay, that's a basic. Yeah, I that one too. Bread and wine. Now, in our church, we use grape juice. We do not believe in alcoholic fermentation or any of that stuff being used in the church. But um, many other denominations, even if they don't believe in social drinking, they still use actual wine for communions what the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings especially uh -huh. when the that's where i'm going is on me for spiritual okay she's googled <laughs> my definition so i'm going to read it so that those on the podcast can truly hear because she was whispering <laughs> um communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. So here's the thing. We can call it the Lord's Supper. We can call it the Eucharist. That's the fancy word for it. We can call it um, communion. But what it is, 
it's not just eating a dry piece of styrofoam, which is what we tend to use in our church. That's what they feel like, those wafers. Um, and drinking a little bit, bit of grape juice. In other, um, in other faiths, other Christian faith groups, trying to think of how to word that, not just denominations, but just other uh, groups. Some of them will actually use a loaf of French bread and you rip off a piece and dip in the grape juice and eat. Um, that is, Dave and I were in, um, went on the Emmaus walk several years ago. We ended up being spiritual leaders on the Emmaus walk after that, but they, um, that's the way they do because it's something about the family and the communion and it's more, more, re, more, I don't want to say realistic, but it's more fitting and historically accurate, even though it had lead, yeah, we used French bread that had leaven in it. Um, but it was in the, the early Christian church, it was a, they did a fellowship meal and they would break bread together and they would have communion at that time. Yes, sir. Does somebody, does some faith groups use, I've heard of it, I mean, unleavened Jewish bread, I Mm -hmm. I think it starts with a name, but I the the mock matzah something like that. Mm -hmm. So I mean, we here's what happens. We all have these real strict like traditions. This is what our church does, and and we come down through it. But then over the years, we start to have an influence of the messianic um, face who comes in, you know, messianic Jews who will come in and minister. And so then we try to incorporate some of the Jewish culture into our communions. And I have noticed, even within the denomination of the Church of God, which is what Mount Vale is, every church does it slightly different. Mm -hmm. It's no longer, oh, we know what we're going to get a cracker and a thing of grape juice. So um, I think a lot of that comes from we're trying to incorporate things and everybody kind of does their own thing. We actually, next week, and I'm going to do it tonight because I want to do it as conclusion of this um, lesson, which has had to be a two-part lesson. We are going to take communion, and the way that I present communion may be slightly different than what you're used to. So, yes, sir. Are you going to go into a deeper meaning of communion? Because back here, It's going to take us two weeks to get through this lesson. So, what, do you think I'm going to go deeper? Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> I've got my understanding. Okay. All right. I'm going to get, yeah, that's why it's going to take us two weeks because we're going to get into a lot of the symbolism. But um, one thing that I wanted, um, but remember, we're starting with the basic basics because we want to be able to explain. And then as people bring us questions, the way you guys start asking questions. I want you guys to be able to reach out and answer those questions. So we asked, what is communion? The basics. Okay. And we, we kind of touched a little bit on the how you do communion. Okay. Who can present communion? Who can serve communion? Because that differs on faith. Too. Okay. So in, for example, in the Catholic church, it's only the priest. And in the how you come up and they place it the wafer on your tongue and then you drink from a corporate cup. I think during COVID they adjusted that slightly to more what we do, but 
Um, but that is their traditional way of serving the Eucharist. I um, attended a Catholic mass when I was in high school, when I was at the state fair in the state fair band. That was the church service we had right there on, on site that we could go to. So I went with my friend and even though they traditionally will put it on your tongue, if you're not comfortable with it, you just hold your hand out and they'll hand it to you. So they, even there, even though they have these strict rules, they're not ironclad. They will adapt for those, for others. All right, so, so in the Catholic Church, it's only the priest. Um, generally, we've traditionally thought it's only the pastor because he is the priest or the bishop of the house. Um, in the church of God, it's remind me, Larry, it's any level can do it. Right. Communion is the one that every level can present. Right. It's some of the others like baptism and marriage. You can, but you're supposed to have permission of your bishop to do so. Um, so for example, for, you know, I'm credentialed in church God myself. So even though I'm female, I can serve communion there are also times so that we make different allowances even if you do not have ministerial credentials for example um when i was a children's pastor long before dave was a bishop and could give me permission to do stuff long before i had my own ministerial credentials my pastor gave me permission to serve communion to the kids so that i could teach them on their level so who can serve communion might differ on your, not just your denomination, but it might even di differ on what your pastor will allow to happen within your denomination, within your particular church. So those kinds of things, those questions you need to know, you know, who can give communion where you are? If you don't want to know, if you really, if it's something you need to know, it's usually only if you're going to be the one giving it that you have to ask that question, but ask your pastor. That's, that's what I'm going to say. That's an ask the pastor question. If you, if you feel led to give it in, you know, you're not one of the traditional accepted things. But um, I know when we go, we do hospital visitation, sometimes we will take communion to people and it's not always a minister who's doing it. Sometimes it's someone who's just visiting that is completely acceptable and my because communion and we're going to get into this a little bit communion traditionally was the breaking of bread to, you were remembering the meal but you it was a fellowship meal mm -hmm. and so when we take to the people in the nursing home or in the hospital or if we take to the children we're taking this meal that they weren't able to be part of and making sure they're still part of the community and part of the fellowship so um so who can take communion this kind of goes back to what we talked about last week with baptism, doesn't it? So who can take communion? Many churches, like the Catholic church, typically is you have to be a Catholic and a member of the church, but they are little acts. Like I said, I, I participated at a mass that I was at. Um, some churches, you have to be a member of their church or you cannot have communion. We practice at our church what's called open communion. Mm -hmm which means if you are a believer, so that comes back to that age of accountability we talked about last week when we talk about whether the children should take communion or not. Um, if you are a believer, 
in Christ, if you have a relationship with him, our communion is open to you. Yes, Larry. Yeah, and also the majority of the ministers that I've known in my time open up the altars prior to taking yep. the, uh, communion so that they can search their soul to make sure they're right with the Lord. And so it, that goes right along with being an open. Mm -hmm. It does. I love the beauty and the pageantry of the Methodist communion. It is gorgeous and it is so, the symbolism comes more to life. And that is something that I feel like sometimes we lack is explaining how deeply spiritual it is. Because like Larry says, they'll open the altars and they'll say, make sure your heart's right. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this, but we go primarily into this idea of it being a remembrance. <clears throat> like it's a memorial service for Jesus. Like and our, it's our table says it, we're doing it in remembrance of him because we're going to go there right now. First Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 26. Corinthians. Verses 23 through 26. So this is the scripture. This is later when um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian, the church at Corinth, which if you were able to be part of our early Zoom Bible studies, you got to hear a lot about that church at Corinth. They, they needed lots of help. Um, and we may have to revisit some of the Corinthians here after a while now that we have other people involved. But he was given, he was, these were pastoral letters. He wrote as a pastor to them, the apostle Paul does. So he's giving directions here, starting in verse 23, specifically about the Lord's supper and how they should practice it. So on verse 23, I'm going to read, it says, for I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So right there. We're going to stop there for a minute. That's talking about communion. It's remembering who Christ was. Remembering what Christ did. This is the night that he was betrayed. This is the night that he, he knew it was coming. He knew Judas was going to meet him and give him that kiss. And he knew that he was going to be dragged off. And it was the beginning. It was the beginning of the crucifixion moment. It's part of the passion of Christ. And he says, do this and remember, it's me. As often as you do this, you're going to remember, this is my body. This is my blood. This is what I am giving for you. And so he says that as often as you do this, you're proclaiming that the Lord did die on the cross mm -hmm. until he returns. Okay. So one reason that we practice communion in our churches is to proclaim that Christ is coming back 
it's not just, oh, this is what he did. Thank you, God, for what you did, because that's a great part of this. But it's also that he's coming back. Okay. And I'm going to go through here a little bit more. I'm hoping I can get through this in two weeks. It might take me three. Because I have well, I was really trying to do it in two weeks because I, next week is Good Friday and I really wanted to take communion on Good Friday. So I'm really trying. We'll probably have to do it in the middle because I really want to do communion on Good Friday. Um, so now here is the next part, which is what Larry was talking about, why, why ministers open up the altars mm -hmm. before we take. Here in verse 27, it says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He's saying that it's the same as if you crucified him yourself. Mm -hmm. If you take this unworthy, if you take this with sin in your heart. It's the same as if you crucified him. Have you ever been told that, um, which I don't really like this the, quite the way this is said, but I, but we've been told this, we all have, that every time you do that, it's like you're nailing Jesus to the cross again. That's kind of what this is saying, is that you're guilty of it. Not that you're physically causing him pain again, but that you're sharing in the guilt of those who sinned against Christ all those years ago. And then it says, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Listen, he's saying that you're supposed to examine yourself. But if you don't judge yourself rightly, then you're not eating and drinking of the cup correctly, which is one reason why we need to educate more about why we do communion. We need to educate more what it's about. We need to educate more about what sin is. It's not just a top 10 list, you know, do this, don't do this, the, the 10 commandments. Sin is disobedience <clears throat> to God. There you go. If that is all sin is, sin is disobedience of God, and the, the, the threat of hell is separation from God. The lake of fire is not even the torture. And then that's what we think of as torture. It's a separation from God that's the torture. We have to recognize what sin is in our lives. And that means, okay, I'm going to go back to our holiness conversation. We have this on every lesson, don't we? If we do not examine ourselves, if we do not listen to when God reveals something to us that we may not have recognized as sin when we first got saved, but God has revealed that it's sin now, mm -hmm. or we've caused our brother or our sister to stumble because something that's not a sin to us tempts them, well, guess what? You've caused them to stumble. That's a sin. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. All right. So it says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. How many weak, anemic Christians do we have out there right now? A bunch. How many are sleeping on the job? Mm 
And not just, I'm not talking about physically sleeping through the sermons, which we've all seen. I'm talking about they're sleeping through their lives and they're like, oh, I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If God's given you a job to do and you're not, you're not doing it, you're sleeping on it. If you, if God's, if God saved you, he's given you a job to do. And that's to proclaim who he is. Are you sleeping on it? Exactly. Um, supposed to be on all the things. So, whenever you want it to be. Right. Oh, this is a good time because I'm going to be around church people. I need to mm -hmm. make sure I'm on my Christian best behavior. It needs to be no matter where you're at, what you're doing, you're always to have it on and say, okay, God, I'm doing this unto you as if you were physically standing right here in front of me. I tell my children all the time, do not do anything unless you're doing it wholeheartedly like you're doing it unto Christ. Mm -hmm. All right, so, and I'm going to take this off because I've got my phone off and I'm not getting the text messages, but my watch keeps buzzing and it's distracting me. It's my work group text, but it's not about work because it's after work hours, so it needs to go off. It's distracting. Um, let's go on here. I want to read here, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Do you ever feel judged? No, not the Okay. Do you feel judged by God sometimes? Mm -hmm. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. What that means is, is if we're examining ourselves and we're listening to God and we're listening to him when he says, hey, that's not correct behavior. I was teasing Jessica a little bit ago and I went into therapy mode and asked her, is that an appropriate behavior? <laughs> but does, how many times does God ask me, is that an appropriate behavior? Oh, what is an appropriate, yeah. What's an appropriate replacement behavior for what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And that is what God desires of us. Mm -hmm. He desires us to listen to him. We don't, he's not judging us. If we're listening to him, he's not judging us. He's revealing those things that need to be purged out. Okay, let's use the talk, the, the example of the refiner, the gold and the refiner's fire. When the when the impurities come to the top, when they get heated, when they're put under and they're examined and he scoops it off and he keeps going, he keeps going. And I think there's a story about a goldsmith who says, who was asked, how do you know when it's done? He says, when I can see myself in it. Whenever a potter is doing a piece of work, when they see the impurity of their work, what do they do? They put their finger in and they take that out, re-voice their hand and gather it up and start remoting it again. And that's what Christ is doing whenever we feel him as speaking to us or, or chat, I don't want you know, chastising or my mom always says, God's going with you for that. Mm -hmm. They just tell you how you need to re-examine you need to let me pluck this out of you but the bible says once you realize what you've seen you go away from it and not do it no more that is the thing that next week you're going to pick it back up okay and so here let's look at verse 32 it says but when we are judged we are disciplined by the lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world why does God continue to discipline us? Why does God continue to pick out those flaws? Why does he continue to put us in the fire to bring the pure impurities to the top? Why does he re-wet the potter's wheel and, and, and start over again? Why? But what does verse 32 say? 
so that we will not be condemned along with the world. If you do not move forward in your Christian walk, you're going to move backward. There is no standing still. You can't get saved and say, glory, hallelujah, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance. I'm done. It doesn't work that way. If you don't keep growing in God and allow him to continue to, to purge you, to continue to pull at you, to continue to move on you, you're going to start moving backwards. Paul used the word many times during his talk in Corinthians, the word perfected. Mm -hmm. And in the Greek, the word perfected actually means maturity. And that's what God keeps working us for is that we be mature. Mm -hmm. But if we go back to verse 32 at that last part. Let me tell you, the world knows how you can be. Oh, yes, because they if do. Your testimony is that you're a Christian. They have their own world view of what a Christian is supposed to look. And I it doesn't matter what if what you're doing, as she said earlier. Doesn't matter what what you do. What matters is what they see. Mm -hmm. If they, you got to remember the world. You're the only Bible that they're going to see for the most part. That's right. So what are they reading? Are they reading something that isn't of God, or are they reading God? That's right. And that's that's where it is. You know. <laughs> People come at you, and I'll tell you this, anytime Dave has to do some sort of discipline type stuff as a resort manager, if he has to be the landlord and say, you can't do this, or you have to, pay, or you're late, you got to pay your rent, you know, those kinds of things. The first thing they throw at him is that you're not any kind of preacher, are you? Mm -hmm. It's the first thing they throw at him every time, because in their mind, the preacher has to do what? Just have compassion, bend over, just take care of them. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you on the opposite end of this. Caitlin called Dave yesterday and she called me today and told me the story because I hadn't heard the whole story. Um, she had a guy at church at, at work yesterday tell her that her dad should be whipped because he was a preacher. Oh. Her dad should be whipped because he was a preacher. So what for us, what that reveals is that he's been hurt and wounded by someone who's been in the ministry at some point in his life so severely that he is not healing from it. Mm -hmm. But that's his worldview. That's his view of what a Christian should be, a Christian is. Not what a Christian should be, but what a Christian is. Mm -hmm. How do we reach others? For Christ if we're not willing for God to purge us so that they can see the true us to see the Christ through us instead of this horrible hurt that this young man must have faced I just I can't imagine that I, I, I mean that just broke my heart Caitlin told me she said mom I was gonna call you and I was crying she said, but I clean my, I calm myself down before I call dad because I wanted him to actually hear what I was saying and not just be worried about me. So that tore her up because how could someone be so hurt? Why do we need to examine ourselves so that we're not causing someone to be that hurt? 
It could be a crossword. And you know, okay, I'm just going to say it because our pastor likes to tease me because I'm that overeducated Yankee. Okay. Because I have higher education degrees and I'm from the North. But the truth of the matter is, I know you forgive me, you guys are here, but the, but the truth of the matter is, depending on who I'm speaking to, sometimes just the way that I speak can come across as offensive because they think I'm talking over them. I actually have a dear friend of mine who I used to work with, and she told me she'd have to carry a dictionary with her anytime she was with me because she didn't understand half of what I said. I have to be aware of that and know who I'm speaking to. When I speak to children, I don't speak the same way that I would speak to a college classroom. Well, honey, I don't speak the same way as anybody because they have to get on my level. <laughs> so, but because I'm so But I have I have offended people simply because my mannerisms are not what their mannerisms are. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't ask God to change who I am, mm -hmm. but I can ask him to make me aware mm -hmm. of that person and so that I can reach out. Just like Debbie didn't realize, I really don't care if people hug me. She thought I didn't like to be hugged when she first met me. Sure did. Yeah, didn't like that. Well, you know, so she, so I mean, but that was just however I was portraying myself at the time. That's the reach she got on it. I don't know if I said something or I don't know. But thankfully, it didn't offend Debbie. We're still friends. But those types of things, we need to be aware. And the Holy Spirit can make us aware of those things. It's not just necessarily sin in our life. It's the way that we could cause offense to others that we need to be aware of. All right. Woo. I'm going off on a little farther on this topic than I'd intended to. So <laughs> I'm trying to refocus myself here. So why do we take communion so far? What have we learned? Have we learned anything new? We take it to be in remembrance of God, but why else? In remembrance of Christ, but why? To pro to proclaim to proclaim his death and that he's coming again, right? It's a testimony time. Communion is also testimony time. Um and I, you know, the New Testament church, when they got together, they would um, have meals together, fellowship meals. Mm -hmm. You know, for us, that's a big old potluck on the grounds, right? Mm -hmm. But for them, it was their weekly meal. They lived communal lives. They shared their resources. So when they came together for a meal, and then they would have this moment of sharing communion, it was an intimate, remember I said communion was intimate. Yes. It's an intimate sharing. That doesn't mean that have, if you're in a church of a thousand members that you can't still have this intimate experience in with a thousand members. But we understand intimacy as we're sitting around tables in this room. 
they sat around tables and ate together. Mm -hmm. And then they broke bread together. Breaking bread was a symbol of friendship as well as the communion. And then they would do it. Now on the off side, on the other side of that, when the Christian church began to hide in the catacombs and stuff, and that's where they were meeting for their secret church, they would have communion and spies would listen and they'd run back and tell the officials that they were cannibals down there eating blood, um, flesh and blood. We know that that wasn't the truth. But that was how those false accusations came against them and how they, one reason they were able to arrest them. So how does our Christianese sound to other people? Think about that. Christianese is the way we talk. It's the way we talk about church. And if we say, when, like when we say, I asked you what communion was, your instant reaction was, well, it, it's, it's taking the, the bread and the wine or the grape juice and, and remembering Christ. Well, why do I need to remember Christ? What am I remembering about him? Those are the questions that a new Christian may ask you. Those are the questions that you may be asked. Well, that doesn't make sense. Or they may ask you, are you really eating people's bodies? Are you really drinking blood? You will get asked those questions. That's where you get into the rest of the sequence that you got to see mm -hmm. what the arms of this body is for us. Right. For, and, we did for everything about uh, what his body is. Yeah. yeah. So, it's oh, absolutely an open door to teach about the crucifixion and the resurrection and to proclaim that Jesus died on the cross, not just for my sins, but for your sins, mm -hmm. that he died to redeem you so that, he, and he's coming again. He rose from the dead and he went back to heaven and he's coming again for you and me. But here's what you need to do. And it's a perfect segue. Now, does it always happen smoothly? No, you're going to have people say, that's weird and walk off. Hopefully that's as extreme as it is that kind of Okay, and I love the way that you represent yourself and the way you make it personal for you. But I have to ask a question. When you first came back to God and you were still, before you dug into the word, would you have understood what you just said to me? Okay, so, yeah. So that's, that, that's what I'm kind of saying. We've got to find the way to explain this in a way that doesn't, I mean, we, I agree with what you said. Absolutely. I agree with the way that Larry represents it. I agree with the, the way Dave and I've talked about it and represent it because it is an intimate spiritual thing. And so for the way that each of us sees it, 
and relates to Christ, as long as we understand that it's about remembering him and what he did for us and proclaiming who he is and that he's coming again, I don't really, you know, it's going to be personal. It's going to be slightly different for everybody. But what we have to know is that when we introduce, when somebody's asking us questions, we have to listen. Right. We have to know where they are. Do they understand this much? That's the same thing with salvation. We talked about the 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 um, young man that I talked to today. He understands, but there are some preachers who would go and talk to him, and it would just go shoom, right over his head. But That's I you got the sense of the spirit. yes. I mean, there's no difference. I'm sorry. I didn't no, that. you go right ahead. No. If we're talking to somebody who, let's say, is not well, mm -hmm. you know, some physical health, we so often, when we're talking about communion, run right past the body. Mm -hmm. But we need to understand that the body was broken. Yep, by his so, stripes. See, he, he's taking the symbolism of breaking. Oh, Breaking his body, and it was broken for us in so many ways for our healing. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why it was broken, but we'll run right past that. And that's the reason why, whether you like it or not, Perry Stone wrote a book called The Mill That Heals. He explains this very good. What's it called again? The meal that heals. The meal, the meal that heals. That heals. Right. See, you, that's where you got to be sensitive who you're talking to. Are you talking to somebody that already understands that the blood covered them and they need to understand what Jesus did in his body for every one of us? Well, we we run past certain The enemy's winning. You know why we don't have more healings? People don't understand what Jesus did in his body. Mm -hmm. The reason why we don't have healing in church is because we're not teaching what Jesus did for us. You know? Well, God heals. He said, well, why doesn't he hear? Well, that's part of it. But he, he was broken in his body. He was beaten. He took 39 stripes. That is the category number of how many, how do you break up the diseases? In Jesus Christ. There are 39 different categories of diseases. Really? And Jesus wore the stripes for all of them. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was Every disease known to man can be broken down into 39 categories. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm just trying to get her to the. No, fine. The seat's what we're laughing about. <laughs> Dave's seat is making noises. <laughs> what? Dave's yeah. seat was making noises. <laughs> It was his feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So here, here is, there are two. Okay. 
We're, we've all lost it now. Okay, if you're listening to the podcast, everybody here has got their head down laughing, wiping their eyes. Just going to say, we don't edit this before I post it. So you are getting the raw feed of what we have, what happens here in this room. All right. <laughs> we've kind of discussed now. We, you got way ahead of me, but that's okay. We're discussing the spiritual emphasis of what communion is. But there are two Jewish meal traditions that are kind of intertwined in this. And I think, and I want to talk about one tonight, and I want to talk about one next week is what I'm going to try to do. Um, but I don't know if I'll get through all of the first one tonight. <laughs> it's only 8.30. Okay, I got some time. You got 30 minutes. No, you don't even got 30 minutes because you won't be out here by nine o'clock. You won't be the gagger. <laughs> no, no gagging of the guests. I'm just reminding you that you won't be out here by nine o'clock. <laughs> All right. The first Jewish meal tradition is the one that we know that is spelled out in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Luke 22. Verse one. And verse what? Let's start at verse one. Oh. Because we're going to discuss what this meal is. Hold on. Here's the 12 o'clock. We could be. I'm not going to go through every every detail of the meal because that is a 20-page uh, book that I have right here. Oh, that no. I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm going to hit the highlights of what I want of the points I want to make to connect it to communion. Luke 22. Okay, Luke 22. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. Who remembers what the Passover was the feast to celebrate, Debbie? It was where the Israelites, they were told to put the blood over the crocodile. Where did the blood come from? An unblemished um, lamb. Mm -hmm. And this is why Jesus is called our Passover lamb. So if you've ever wondered where that term came from or if anybody ever asked you why, that's why you know. It's because everything, the beginning of Passion Week starts with the beginning of Passover here. It lined up. Now, it doesn't always line up now because um, Passover... Um, doesn't always line up exactly seven days before Easter, if I understand correctly. Sometimes it ends. It's supposed to, but sometimes the calendar gets off a little. This Jewish calendar is slightly different than what we use. Okay. So now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. They weren't afraid of Jesus. They weren't afraid if he claimed to be the Messiah. They were scared of people not being scared of them. Scared of them. They were scared they were going to lose their power over the people. Did you know that Jesus' death was caused by a power struggle? That's all it was. And the, in, the human, in the human realm, it was just a power struggle. <laughs> who would have the, who would the people follow? Who would the people obey? All right. Verse three, 
And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. So Judas was in the inner circle. He was looking for a way to turn Jesus over and betray him when they wouldn't have the crowd of supporters around them. I want you to know something, and I'm just going to say this flat out because we've talked about some um, pressures on leadership and, and ministry leaders. The person who attacks you will come when you're away from the crowd. That's right. They don't attack you in front of anybody who might be your supporter. Mm -hmm. They're going to wait until you're alone and they think you're weak. Mm -hmm. And so if you feel attacked, know that that was not somebody who supported you at any point because they would not be attacking you at that moment. Okay. I just feel like we need to, we need to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Judas looked for a way to get him away from the supporters, to get him away. And we know that when he, got, when he kissed him in the garden, we didn't even have all the 12 with him. It was those those few inner circle people. They took, they cut the numbers down. He went and found a way to get him when he was going to be most vulnerable. All right. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Sorry. Okay. So the lamb, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed on the first day of the feast. The feast of the celebration is called a feast, not just a meal. And it lasted seven days. It lasted a whole week, seven days. But the lamb was sacrificed on the first day. Which is seven days before Easter? Kind of. It's seven days before his, before his crucifixion. So that would have been Good Friday in our calendar. No, no, wouldn't they? Good Friday. I mean, wouldn't you put the blood over the door? Seven days before. So okay, I'm I'm reading. Okay. I'm saying, I just thought I put it in my head that I might very well do that. Just to, yeah. Just because I've never done it. So, um, on the first day of unleavened bread on which a Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And J Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. So he's sending them on to prepare the Passover. He's following traditions. He's following his Jewish law. He's following the spiritual significance of what Passover was. He's not trying to override the priest the chief priest on Passover, he's telling them to go get the lamb, wherever they got the lamb, that we're going to go ahead and we're going to celebrate. And they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered a sit the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And that's where we get the term upper room, if anybody ever asked you. That's how we know they were in the upper room 
during the um, Last Supper here. It's not the same upper room as later, <laughs> but he was in an upper room, all right? And they left and found everything just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. So it is very clear that this supper they're getting ready to have is a Passover meal, right? It's spelled out here in scripture. I've heard people try to argue that it wasn't really. It's spelled out in scripture. It is a Passover meal that they are. It says, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows what's coming. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He knows that this is his last supper. He knows that he will not share this Passover meal, this celebration, this feast again with them until the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God? It's after the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's after the coming of Christ when he returns. And then... And then I'll get there in a minute. And then we're going to go verse 17 and I'm going to read through. And this is Luke's account of the last supper and communion. And then I'm going to go connect some dots here. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten. So he takes the cup again. Remember this saying this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And Larry, I want you to remember that based off of what you just talked about, about healing. Okay. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with, is with mine on the table. For indeed, the son of man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves, which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Huh? I had a, a strange thought. If you could on the screen, I now, you know, he told them the one I fix into is the one who's going to betray me. He might have blinded the mothers, but Peter would have lost his temper and took him out. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why. Well, I they're having a discussion. Is it me? Is it you? Yeah. And he, but he told them the one. Yeah. He told them. The one who is. That they were too yeah. involved in their own set. Because I think he'd be a bitch start that piece. He didn't realize who it was. All right. So. I'm going to talk a little bit now about the meaning of Passover, and I want us to relate this to what we understand as the last summer, what we celebrate as communion or the Eucharist, okay? I want us to connect this. We're going to, talk, we're going to finish, we're going to talk about Passover tonight. I am going to tell you next week, we're going to talk about um, the Jewish betrothal ceremony, because that has some significance too, in just the way he words things within this Passover meal, okay? So the first thing that you do before the beginning of Passover is all leaven, which according to 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 18 is a symbol of sin. Remember, if leaven gets in, it'll ruin the whole loaf. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, I, I don't understand it. 
What does, I mean, the lamb of bread, I was exactly. It's yeast. It's what makes it rise. Whether it's yeast, whether it's, um, no matter what kind of yeast it is. Yeah, we use yeast. We use baking powder. Mm -hmm. um, we use natural wild yeast, like when we make sourdough. And I'd say theirs was probably more like that. It was a more natural wild sourdough type yeast. They didn't want anything, they didn't want anything that would make it rise. Okay, so before the beginning of Passover, all leaven, which is a symbol of sin, according, and if you want to write this down, it's 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. That's where it talks about leaven being the symbol of First sin. 6 through 8. 6 through 8, sorry. That's okay. So all of this has to be removed from the Jewish home. And the house is cleaned, cleaned from top <gasps> to bottom. And anything containing leaven is removed. Then the eve, they, they are doing this before Passover starts, but the evening before Passover, the father of the house, so the head of the household, takes the traditional cleaning element implements, which is a feather, a wooden spoon, and a bag. I don't, I guess maybe he uses the wooden spoon as a dustpan. I'm not sh quite sure why those are the three cleaning elements, but he searches the house for any specks of leaven that might have remained. That's why I'm thinking the feather and the spoon could be dusted off and the spoon is to collect it and put it in the bag, what way I understand it. So they're purifying the home. Okay, where does God abide? Where does Christ abide? Where is his home? Right here. It's in us. So before the Passover, which is when he has the Last Supper, so communion, they're purifying the home, removing those elements of sin. It says, once the leaven is removed, the family sits around the table and ceremonially washes their hands with a special lava and a towel. So it's a special kind of soap and towel. And says, this, they say, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples at this point, it was actually at that point where they were supposed to ceremonially wash their hands. And he went around and washed the feet of the disciples. Then we talk about, you know, and we often talk when we teach about foot washing, we teach that, you know, he was doing something that the, the servant of the home should have done because, you know, and those types of things. But it's, a, it's also significant that during their meals, when they're supposed to ceremonially wash, he goes and washes feet. 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 Can't talk. Feet. All right. Once the house and participants are ceremonially clean, okay, they purify themselves. They, they search their home for specks of what might, of leaven, which represents sin. Specks. Remember, we're not to talk about the speck in our brother's eye because we've got a, a plank in our own. That's right. But they're searching for specks in their home. So we should, we should be... Huh? Oh, well, I'm not there. Well, actually, I wasn't really going to go there, but... <laughs> Without spot or wrinkle. Yeah. We're supposed to be clean. And before we get Jesus, the last supper for Jesus was a Passover meal. The beginning that before a Passover meal even starts, they're purifying themselves of anything that represents sin. Leaven is representing sin. Mm -hmm. And they get it all out of the home. All right. 
Then they light the candles. That's the ceremonial beginning of Passover. The woman of the house goes and lights the candles and brings the light of the world. Jesus was brought into the world. The light of the world was brought to the world through a woman. So for us, we see that as symbolism. Then, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, the Haggadah, which means the telling. What? It means the telling. The telling. The telling of the story of the Passover. They remember what happened and what God did. And not only do they remember it, this is very important to me, and I, I think Debbie can understand this as having worked with children for all that time. The father tells this story of the exodus from Egypt and he reads from the book called the Haggadah and he uses symbols and object lessons in order to keep the attention of the little ones. He makes sure that even the youngest person in that room understands the significance of what they're about to do. What do we do? Why do we simplify when we, and that's why we simplify when we present communion. It's because we need one to make sure even the youngest in the room, even the little ones understand what's going on. But then the Passover meal is called a Seder. And the Seder, a Seder, S-E-D-E-R. S-E-D-E-R. And it begins with a blessing recited over the first four cups. They have lots of cups they drink out of here. The first four cups. And it's blessed art thou, Lord, our God, king of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine, is their traditional saying. But in Luke 22, 17 through 18, it says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, it doesn't tell us what he said, but he took the cup and he gave the thanks. Jesus was acting as the head of the household because he's a leader and he's giving thanks. So the first cup is a blessing recited over the cup. And Jesus did this himself in Luke 22, 17 and 18. Now here's the second cup. See, we talk about this. We see where Jesus has the cup more than once when we read this account in Luke. The second cup is to remind us of the 10 plagues and the suffering of the Egyptians when they hardened their hearts to the Lord. In order to not rejoice over the suffering of our enemies, we spill a drop of the fruit of the vine, which is a symbol of joy. And, it, and then they recite each of the 10 plagues, thus remembering that our joy is diminished at the suffering of others. But Jesus says here, this cup, which is poured out. So this is the second cup. He's doing that. This cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His blood was shed for us. It's a covenant, it's the promise. But in remembering it, and, and Larry's right, we need to remember that his body was broken. But he's doing this at this time when they should be remembering the plagues and these afflictions that came upon those who did not know God's power or deny God's power. He's talking about the healing, the health that the, Israelites received 
during this time. We don't. I mean, just going through this, just reading just a little bit, and this is a very simplified understanding of what Passover is, but I want to point these things out. The Cedar Mill will be uh, celebrated on April 5th in this, this year. So it, start, it doesn't start till the 5th, so it's not a yeah. full seven days before. And the 6th in... Uh, I don't know how to say this. D I A S P O R A. And the diaspora. After nightfall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, for I read it, I've had Passover for nothing. This is just kind of. So I'm going to read this again. Listen to what the second cup is for. Okay. The second cup is to remind us of the 10 plagues and the suffering of the Egyptians when they hardened their hearts to the Lord. In order to not rejoice over the suffering of their enemies, which that's Proverbs 24, 17 is their reference for that. We spill a drop of the fruit of the vine. So they pour, purposely pour out part of that cup. And that cup is a symbol of joy as they recite each of the 10 plagues, thus remembering that our joy is diminished at the suffering of others. And I want to build on to what Larry was trying to get to with the healing earlier. How can our joy be complete when we're watching the suffering of others? When we know that we have the power to pray for them, we know that we have the power to um to, to provide access to healing. We don't provide healing, but we can pray and help them find healing. And I'm trying not to lose our recording here, but I do not have my plug with me. Um, do you need, I've got, I've got. No, I'm, I'm just, we're good. I've got it on Zoom and we're gonna lose part of the recording in here in a second, cause my battery's gonna die. Oh. Um, <laughs> so let me rush through this. I don't wanna rush through, but let me get the points out and then we can expand a little bit more. All right, then they have a very curious tradition. It's, I cannot pronounce the name, but a at the table is a bag with three compartments and three pieces of matzah. Matzah is their unleavened bread. The middle piece of matzah is taken out, broken, and half is put back into the bag. The other half is wrapped in a linen napkin and hidden to be taken out later after the meal. Our Savior's body was broken, wrapped in a linen cloth and yeah. hidden in a tomb to be taken out again three days later as he rose. The symbolism is so great. And Jesus gave it to us and we're losing sight of it. And I'm just going to say right now, this, what I am reading out, the simplified understanding of the um, Passover is a free ebook that you can find on chosenpeoplemin.com. It's Chosen People Ministries, but chosenpeople.com. That's the best I've ever heard explained. Um, and they don't quite say it that way. I just <laughs> went there. Um, and then we talk about the Seder plate that they have a series of object lessons that the rabbis have done over the years. One is the greens or part, usually parsley, which is a symbol of life. Um, it's dipped into salt water, which is a symbol of the tears that he's, that were shed over our lives, over his life. And then it's eaten to remind us that life for our ancestors was immersed in tears, but Christ cried so hard for us. Mm -hmm. He sweated what? 
he sweated blood mm -hmm. and his tears. Can you imagine if he's sweating blood, what are his tears? Blood. They're probably blood too. He cried over us. He cried out. I don't want to go through this, but if I need to, I will. But God, 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 he cried over us. He, he gave everything for us. Right. The next thing is, and I know I'm rushing. You guys can ask me questions a minute. I want to make sure I get this on this recording real quick. The There's a roasted egg that's placed on the cedar, cedar plate to bring mind of the roasted daily temple sacrifice that can no longer be offered because they no longer have a temple. But in the very midst of this Passover Seder, the Jewish people are reminded that they have no sacrifice to make them righteous before God. But for us, we no longer need the sacrifice to make us righteous because Christ already provided that. They also have a bitter herb, which is usually horseradish and is eaten enough is eaten with the matzah to bring tears to the eye we cannot re we cannot appreciate the sweetness of redemption unless we first experience ourselves the bitterness of slavery when we recognize that we are slaves to sin then we understand the joy that comes with salvation and i know we have heard testimony after testimony in this place at that time when we truly understood what salvation was and what that redemption meant and the joy that it brought. Then there is a sweet mixture of chopped apples, nuts, honey, cinnamon, and a little bit of grape wine um, that's kosher for Passover, just to give it some color. And this is symbolic of the mortar that the Jewish ancestors used to build the bricks in Egypt. Um, but why do they remember and experience so bitter with something so sweet? Because even the bitterest of labor can be sweet when our redemption draws nigh. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you've been through, when Christ provides your redemption, what happens? It all becomes sweet. I wouldn't trade anything for those experiences, but I didn't want to go through them. I wouldn't trade anything for them now because they made my understanding of who Christ is so much sweeter. And then on every plate is a bare shank bone of the lamb. In the book of Exodus, Jewish firstborns were spared from the angel of death by applying the blood of the spotless innocent lamb to the doorposts of their home. Today, we believe that Jesus is that perfect Passover lamb. And when we apply his blood to the doorpost of our heart, we too go from death into life and from the slavery of sin into the freedom of being a redeemed child of God. John the Baptist said in John 1 29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the meal is then served and they eat the meal. And then they have to go searching for that sweet dessert. They have to search for the sweet. Do you ever have to go search for the joy? Mm -hmm. That's what that's to represent. They claim a prize, usually about $5, <laughs> when the child, the child who went, finds the dessert. But I want to skip ahead here to the third and fourth cup and Elijah's cup. We're trying to get this out. The third cup is taken after the meal, and it's the cup of redemption, which reminds us of the shed blood of the innocent lamb. So we see that Jesus takes the third blood and it says in the same way, um, do this whenever you drink of me. When he says, you, whenever you think of me, whenever you drink of this, you remember, do this in remembrance of me. It's this third cup, which is the cup of redemption. 
we remember Christ's redemption. The fourth cup in Hebrew means praise. Praise, praise. And we see the beautiful high priestly prayer of John 17. So when you go to John 17, Jesus took time to praise and thank the Lord for the end of the Passover Seder, at the end of the Seder, his last supper. The spotless Passover lamb had praise on his lips as he left this world. He was praising. But then they leave a place setting. This is the thing. They just, this is when we talk about in remembrance of me, it's not just a remembrance of what he did, but it's he's coming again. Because they have the cup they call Elijah's cup. There's a place setting that's left empty, absolutely empty for the Elijah the prophet, the honored guest at every Passover table. And the Jewish people expect Elijah to come at Passover and announce the coming of the Messiah. And when we read in the Revelation, we understand that those two prophets, that one of them is Elijah coming to announce the Messiah, that the Messiah is coming. So a place is set, a cup is filled, and hearts are expectant. They're waiting and expecting for Elijah to come and announce the good news. And it says at the end of the meals, the kids go looking to see if Elijah's there yet. Are we looking? When we take communion, are we looking for the coming of the Lord? Are we looking even just for Elijah to announce he's coming? Are we looking? Those are the things. Okay. I wanted to get those out and look, I beat my battery. <laughs> we got it out. I wanted those and I'm willing to, we can discuss a little bit more, but so that I can save this for the podcast, I want us to go ahead and pray, and then we can discuss more here in person if we need to. And those of you who are on the podcast, I will post where you can ask questions that will come to me, and then I can um, answer them to you, okay? So dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the examples that you've given us in your word that are laid out there if we just look for them. Father, that you plan that Passover celebration all those years ago back after the exodus from egypt so that we now could understand who christ really was for us father i just ask that as we continue to research and we're going into this easter season and we're researching that holy week begins on sunday father with with palm sunday and we go into the holy week that we reflect on this and we look for your coming not just that you bled and you died on the cross for our sins and that your body was broken for the healing of our bodies, but that you're coming again, that we're redeemed and you're coming again and that we can be expectant this week as we look for you. I pray that this word would go out and that others would come to you and, cul and this would culminate in a new understanding of what it means to take your the communion, the last supper of the Eucharist. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.